0: In the age of Instagram and social sharing, brick-and-mortar businesses offer a unique advantage that even the biggest and best online platforms can't compete with. On Brick and Mortar Reborn, we talk with business owners and industry experts about what they're seeing work best for brick-and-mortar businesses who aren't just competing with their online counterparts, but thriving in spite of all the options that customers now have. We'll share exactly what you can do to set yourself up for success with an experience that wows your customers and keeps them coming
1: back for more. And now our host, Bobby Maramat. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Brick and Mortar Reborn. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Joe Guth, who's the president of McAllister's Deli. Joe, welcome. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, um, if you don't mind, I know I, I know you're really busy, by the way. So, thank you again for taking the time and and giving our our listeners a little flavor of uh, you know all the expertise that you have for managing this, this this huge organization. As we get into it, I just want to you know before we get into some of the the questions that we had for you, uh, I want to give a little brief of McAllister's. Do you mind just walking us through McAllister's and and what you do and what your position is, and and if you want to give us an extended view of Focus Brands in general too, that would be great. That'd be
0: great. Thanks, Bobby. Yes, so. McAllister's Deli has been around a little over 30 years. We now have almost 500 restaurants and we sit in the fast casual space, but McAllister's was fast casual before we had fast casual. Started in Mississippi and really was focused on approachable food, but delivering a, a great guest experience. So we've always had table service as a part of the brand and the guest experience. For a lot of people who don't know us, because a lot of people don't know us, my brand awareness is actually pretty... Pretty low, but we are mostly in the eastern part of the eastern and middle part of the country. I would say as far north as the Midwest, and then all the way as far as Arizona, but not really on the the northeast of the coasts. And we exist in a lot of secondary and tertiary markets. And our average unit volume is about one point six million. So we, at the end of twenty nineteen, were north of seven hundred million in sales. And so a, a good size brand, but quiet. Because I would tell you, the vast majority of people you would ask probably don't know us, but the people who do know us love us. And we do exist, as you mentioned, as part of Focus Brands, which is a portfolio company owned by uh, Roar Capital. And the other brands we have are Schlotsky's, Moe's, Enian's, Jamba Juice, Enian's Pretzels, Jamba Juice, or Jambas, I should say. Now we've cut that, Carvel Ice Cream, and then Cinnabon, who I was previously president of before I joined McAllister's a few years ago.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. A lot of great brands. Uh, some of my, my my favorite brands for sure. As you were maneuvering, and of course, we're you know coming. I want to hope we're coming out of a of a pandemic, but we'll see here what the next few months and and several months kind of uh, entail. But as as uh, we've been kind of in these times, how's has adjusted? You know, really to the pandemic, both you know on the employee side and also externally for for customers.
0: Well, obviously, at first and foremost for us was really adapting to. I wouldn't even call it normal, but a new standard, which at the very beginning of the pandemic was a focus on team member and guest safety. So making sure that we have the right protective equipment in in the restaurants, making sure that we had the right procedures. Safety was first and foremost for us, both for guests and team members, as well as food safety overall. So that was priority number one. Then for us, fortunately, we had just recently launched a digital platform literally a month before COVID had hit. And so we had uh, a new guest experience, a new loyalty program it was greatly enhanced. Uh, it's just the base performance had been greatly improved. And that allowed us to also do things like standing up curbside on 400 restaurants in under two weeks, which now accounts for 12% of our sales. And wow. So really pivoting into that, how guests wanted to interact with our brand in this new, new time, if you will. And so that has served us incredibly well between that and then launching our own direct delivery service through the app, launching right now it's in test about to roll out table side ordering through the app, as well as our enrollment in our loyalty program, which is obviously providing value to folks we've increased that from 200,000 users to well over a million just in six. Wow. That has been really a pivot, you know, I guess, you know, one is safety. And procedures. The other is that guest experience of access convenience through our digital platform.
1: How much of this do you think kind of stays and sticks? Like, do you you think, you know, curbside, just in app ordering, do you think a majority of that will stay or, or what are kind of your viewpoints? I read an article, and I think it was the
0: CMO of Yum, talking about how these behaviors will continue to evolve as we make our way through this pandemic and move to a new normal. And I think it was best said when he said that those things that are easier will stay and those things that are harder will not. As an example, ordering groceries over the app and having them delivered to my front door is easier than going to the grocery store. Yeah, so, absolutely. Making dinner for myself every night because I'm afraid of either the pandemic or I'm more sensitive to the situation will not. And I think that is what we will see in as as this goes forward. So as it relates to our business, I do believe that the digital is easier. It's more convenient. You get more value being on the lutz program. So This time kind of pushed us to do things as we're doing right now with Zoom calls, right? Well, that's, yeah, yeah, I think that's going to stick because in many cases it's easier, but people will do in addition to. So the way I view it is really that the people we've acquired on this platform will stay with us. They may start to interact with us more in a dining capacity, but our engagement with them and their frequency will be forever changed because we've now introduced them to the brand in a new way that they can access and that that will stick. So I do believe, you know, we were north of 50% dine-in before. yep Now we're mid thirties or a third of that. third of our business is dine-in, but we're back to pre-pandemic levels, which is fantastic for us. That's but fantastic, if, yeah. as dine-in comes back, that will stick. If we continue to, you know, with the caveat that we continue to do our job on the digital and continue to execute at a high level.
1: Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. And part of this, you, you already kind of answered, but, Are there other consumer behaviors, customer behaviors that you think have accelerated during the pandemic outside of just the use of technology? Are there other things that you've seen?
0: So, yeah, there's a really interesting dynamic, which was, and this one I think will probably mitigate over time, is there's definitely been a surge in the indulgent category, whether that be sandwiches, but definitely in our dessert category. (laughs) Now we're talking before we got onto this, we had definitely upgraded our desserts and bringing in things like Cinnabon Cheesecake. A strawberry shortcake over the summer, and we just blew through those way faster. I mean, uh, that rate of sale has been double what has been historically. Now, I don't know as people have to come out of their sweatpants in their homes whether you know that starts to mitigate, maybe. <laughs> but that has been an interesting, an
1: interesting trend beyond beyond what we're looking at here. So, I think that goes in waves too. But but who knows what what ends up happening as people get back and and have to you know go into offices and get out and get out of their houses? Uh, we'll see what happens. There's investments that you made in technology like you just talked about, but what other investments are you thinking about making in your business, Joe, uh, to match some of these behavior changes? Are there areas that you're going to focus on? So definitely, you know, there's things around, I
0: would say around the physical plant as well as packaging. So let me start with the first. We were already moving down a path of putting in pickup windows in our new units, and that is definitely accelerated with this new shift to off-premise. And so As we continue to evolve that, we are now even looking at smaller footprints. But before it would be, we went from a, call it a north of 4,000 square feet to 3,100 square feet in our new prototype. Uh, Now we're pushing down to 2,700 and maybe even smaller because we're having, we know there's this shift off premise one and two, the conversion opportunities. So as it may be, there are concepts that were maybe marginal or underperforming that are now no longer. And so- availing ourselves of those opportunities is something we're looking to doing. The other piece is around packaging. And we made a move to sustainability and and we're committed to that. And that's been great for us and our brand perception. But continuing to evolve that, optimize that, I think a particular challenge is in and around beverage and beverage incidents, because that almost in every concept, your beverage incidence is lower and off-premise. So how are you going to address that? So we're looking at different packaging, looking at different ways that we can deliver on that And really build that business because in anybody who's in food service, any beverage business is incredibly important to your profitability and just your overall check size. So continuing to look at and innovate that. And then I think the third piece is we definitely launched family meals and deli kits and things along those lines. And continuing to look at that and how the guest or consumer interacts with your brand and how you will continue to evolve that positioning relative to innovation how people are getting at the format, but then also just the type of types of products themselves in terms of how you know what travels best is something you've got to think about in terms, you know, with with a good chunk of our business now being consumed off premise, whether that's yeah. up or delivery, it's still something that we have to be thinking about in terms of what what works well. I mean for our menu, there's a large portion that does, but there are portions like our spuds and hot sandwiches and soups that we have to continue to look at.
1: We talked a little bit about the acceleration of some of the technology and you were already thinking about that, about that and implementing that prior to the pandemic, but are there technologies that you have now accelerated thinking about and or investing in for f- the future, the next few years? So definitely, I think we, I think it's
0: continuing to evolve it, Bobby. I think it's not, it's, so it's let me go back to curbside. So we stood that up, got yeah. it launched very quickly, but it, it wasn't necessarily optimized. There's a tolerance level that guests will have right now in a, in a pandemic that I think will, you know, you have to continue to say, okay, that worked, but how do I make it better? And not just for the guests, but also for our team members. So right now we, we will be rolling out a new feature within the next three months that says, okay, tell the guest says I'm here. So we did it very quickly. So it says you can order and you can choose this order mode and then you get to the restaurant and then it's kind of up to everybody to figure it out. Our team members and our franchisees and our operators did a phenomenal job doing that, but that's not ideal. So we need to optimize that both from the team member, because when, you know, as opposed to looking out the window, waiting for that car to show up, now we're going to have a notification that when someone shows up or they hit the button, they're there. And it also is great from a guest standpoint, because they're not waiting to see if someone shows up. And so that's an example of investing in those things that have worked and then optimizing them. And so I think, that will continue for sure. And then I think at the restaurant level, continuing to look at the physical footprint and the investment related to social distancing and looking at the footprint and how many tables should we have in here, knowing that we need to have a certain level of distance and how long that will, you know, trying to balance that. Those are things that we continue to invest in. And then I would say probably the the third area is tied to that, but it's in people. So yeah. it's great to have apps and technology and, and new thoughts, but you need to have the people to execute it. And so there definitely is a shift in terms of the types of capability we're investing in and how we're bringing that in and to be able to enable and fuel
1: this growth through these new channels. That's great. Yeah, I think I think part of that is you're totally right to, to be able to put these processes and technologies in place and then be able to perfect them over time and make them really close to to making it easier for, for the customer to interact with the brands is, is definitely important. One of the concepts that's come out during the pandemic—it's—it's it's really been accelerated—is what a lot of restaurant analysts are saying: local is king. How does McAllister's manage, you know, marketing, sales, product lines, adapt to the to the local demands of each market? So for us,
0: it's more about because we are a relatively large regional brand. It's really more for us around community connection than it is necessarily changing the offering. Okay, uh, we have a pretty broad menu, and we do allow for quite a bit of customization. So. I think it's less about us, about tailoring offerings, if you will, and far more about that local connection. So we did our, our whole brand logo and concept design a couple of years ago with the with an eye towards focusing on community. And so everything from our community table to a community mural on the wall that has pictures of the guests in the community we're in, a community mural, which is custom for every unit, that's about the connections there. Then building with the community versus the menu itself, our menu is approachable enough and broad enough that we feel like it can accommodate the vast majority of of what guests are looking for. So, and moreover, if you get back into saying, well, I'm going to change this here and change that here, you're really going to introduce a lot of operational complexity. So if you have any scale, that's just going to get much more difficult. If anything, we're trying to rationalize the number of variances and SKUs that we are bringing into the restaurant so that... You have that convenience, which is tied to speed and ultimately execution, and so that that is the challenge there. I think it's far more about how you connect with that community, both either your physical plant, like I described, and or the digital out- outreach that you
1: have in terms of customizing that connection. Makes sense. I love it, and and also some of your customers probably just want to be able to order the same thing if they travel through. So that makes that makes a lot of sense. What are some uh, some things that you think will shape the future? And you kind of said this a little bit already, like maybe the size and, and the way it gets new stores are set up, but what are some of the things that you think will shape, you know, what the restaurants of the future look like? Well, I definitely think I'd
0: mentioned it earlier in terms of the shift to off-premise and re-looking at the physical plan and how can you deliver product in these different modes of service? What do your guests really want? And that's going to be an evolving piece. So if they come on premise, what are their expectations in terms of space and distance and size and, and service modes like? what we're talking about with table side, but then also what do you need to produce? So fortunately for us, we have in our back of house, two lines, but historically we haven't used them as much. And I think as our business comes back and now grows past where we were pre-pandemic, it's going to be critical for us to be leveraging that. And so I think for other operators beyond our concept is really understanding what are the operational needs of your teams executing in this new world order. I mean, you can look at the targets and moments of the world and they're going to hire thousands of people just to address their curbside. What types of staging and space requirements are you going to need to be able to execute that now that it's been going to go into double digit part mix of your, of your business? And I think that's really for us. And so we were kind of moving that way. So now it's just accelerating that for us. But I think every business is going to have to, to think about that. How are you staging that business? How are you staffing that business to make sure that you can optimize its execution? Because if you don't, it will go away. If you don't execute and fulfill the promise, then it will move to somebody else and it will be very difficult to get that back.
1: As we're looking at, again, here the future, do you think any sort of new automation is going to impact, you know, g- given again, the, the pandemic probably accelerates some of this if, if you think that, that there is any of this, but is there any automation that you think will impact the state of the industry, the restaurant world in general? It has largely
0: been this shift in terms of ordering and how people interface with the brand. I know they've seen things around automating the production of the food itself, and while there'll be improvements on that, I still think we're we're at least a couple years out from that mm-hmm. from that transpiring. I think from an automation standpoint, will really be around helping forecast and understand what's going to happen, both from a labor and a food standpoint, and that'll get much much better. Because as people go into digital habits, you're able to measure them more often, you're actually able to influence that, which then then has downstream implications in terms of how you manage the business. So I think that's more of where that will go. And then obviously, there's AI that will come to how we interface with guests and and how often and starting to continue to optimize that. Because I think ultimately, probably one of the greatest challenges, and that's definitely for us as we think about it, is if your brand promise or your business value or experience has been largely predicated on physical in-person interaction, how are you extending that in a digital world? And how do you have that brand voice? How does that experience differentiate itself in an off-premise way? And I don't pretend to have the answer on that. I mean, it can be small things like having hand signatures on the bag and thanks for being here. Yeah. Starbucks is great at that. And we've been doing that, but what else, how does that take, how do you take on that brand character? How does, for us, we always look for what we say, quote unquote, a little something extra. And how yep. does that look like in a digital age about surprise and delight and other rewards? And so I think we, we're continuing on that. And I think everybody, when they think about why your your business won in the past and how will you make sure that that comes through in the future as these channels and deliveries evolve? I think that's what you really got to ask yourself.
1: Are there, again, because, you know, stores during the pandemic and and, and locations probably were not as open and people didn't want to want to interact in different ways, like we've been talking about through apps and and other, other technology pieces. How have you been, you know, staying on top of communication with your customers? Are there other things outside of the app that you've been doing to stay in contact with customers during this time?
0: So we're always listening. We have a guest feedback loop in terms of, I'm sure, as a lot of brands do. And cer- certainly we've been monitoring that in terms of what that looks like. I-, I think from you know what we've done to actually listen to them more, we have definitely continued to solicit their input through the app. And I think we've made it easier with our new digital platform to give us that feedback. But there hasn't been a dramatic shift there. I think it's really just the feedback that's actually coming in that's, that's different, obviously, yeah. in terms of what they like and what they don't like and what they're experiencing and and so for us it was fortunately it was such a dramatic improvement when we moved digital platforms literally 4 weeks before the pandemic hit we've had a pretty big upswing in that regard so that's been we've been very fortunate there but i think it's going to be staying on top of it i mean as we start to ramp up innovation again obviously we weren't doing a lot of new product testing in the in the midst of a pandemic right. nearly impossible to get a clean read on that but now we're ramping that back up and saying, what does that look like? And for us, I think we're leaning more into how do we get it into the market faster and get a read from there versus bringing people into rooms for focus groups. Because not a lot of people want to do that. And, yeah. so, you know, we're going to have to think about that more and how we leverage a technology, but B our our existing operations is, is that's probably the, one of the best examples of where we're going to significantly change how we operate is not just what we innovate, but how we innovate.
1: Are there types? Of, this is just, uh, yeah, I'm curious about this. Other types of foods that you've seen be more more prone to be ordered on curbside and other kind of mechanisms versus coming in location. Has there been any sort of? Yeah, I
0: mean, definitely the comfort foods
1: have yeah. have taken off. As I would mentioned,
0: things like our French dip, cinnabon cheesecake, things along those lines they definitely have have spiked. And then the challenge is as, as I mentioned, also is is beverages having those still be relevant in this off premise format.
1: Joe, you know, there's there's a lot of operators uh, that are not you know fortunate enough to be meet your friend and be able to have this conversation with you. So I'm again very thankful for you to be here and and, and give our our listeners some guidance here. Are there pieces of advice that you can give restaurant operators they can learn from you and McAllister's and how you run their organization? So I would say first and foremost, communicate, communicate, communicate. Open
0: those lines of communication to the front line to your guests and be a great listener. And really try to increase that frequency because a residual benefit of this is just be getting getting a lot closer. Just as an example, before the pandemic hit, we had had a survey with our franchisees, and one of the key themes was communication. Ironically, you know, through this crisis, we have been closer and dramatically increased the frequency and quality of that communication. And. As a result, we've been able to survive. So I would say that would probably be my biggest recommendation if you have not already done that. Some is that some of it is forced but but it can be an accelerator for your business overall. And so I would say that that's one piece. The other piece is if you haven't figured it out already, dive in headlong into technology and figure it out. So like we talked about with curbside, we were just going to explore it this year. Well, we went way past exploring <laughs> right. we into it. And I think the other, so, so what and that, that illustrates is that you can take more risks right now. I know that sounds counterintuitive, yeah. but guests are, and even in team members or your, your frontline people are more forgiving because they know this is uncharted territory. And so yeah. there's far less downside. And I think you'll find that guests and team members are going to be far more forgiving if something fails or you know, are gonna push through in a way that we will
1: get to figure it out and we'll get to the other side. Totally agree, that's great, great advice. Before I let you go, Joe, and again, thank you for your time. Any sort of uh, fun brands outside of the Focus Brands uh, locations in Atlanta that you uh, love to frequent or any sort of uh, local areas that you would recommend as people start traveling again? One of the things that I very much miss,
0: and I know we'll, we'll be back, so we live off the Beltline, couple blocks off the Beltline in Atlanta, uh, near the Virginia Highland area. And there's so many great restaurants, local restaurants that have popped up along the Beltline. I love Ponce City Market and the food hall that was there. It was, uh, it's, it was developed by the same guys that did Chelsea Market up in New York. And uh, fabulous little concepts in there. There's H&F Burger, which is just a fantastic kind of single concept. Gia, which is kind of an authentic Szechuan that you outside of San Francisco and New York, it's really ha- hard to find. So there's there's a number of things right down there. Beltline and Ponce City Market are, are big favorites. of mine.
1: That's awesome. Again, Joe, uh, thank you for your time. I know you're busy. Our listeners are really gonna appreciate this. I appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks, Bobby. Absolutely, thank you. Thanks for tuning in to
0: this episode of Brick and Mortar Reborn. To find the resources mentioned in the show and detailed show notes, head over to reborn.com.